So today is uh, the uh, last day of the year, and we thought today would be a good day for us to uh, have a Messiah's table. And uh, again, um, you know, the new year, it's kind of an artificial thing, isn't it? Uh, in the sense that uh, I know this may come as a shock to us, but the calendar going way, way, way back, you know, to Bible times did not start with a month called January and end with a month called December, right? Uh, and and uh, if you've ever studied calendars, you'll learn, you'll learn a lot of things about time that it is very relative. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of calendars that the world has used over time. One thing that we do know that, though, that no matter what kind of calendar that uh, anybody ever uses, that time is sequential. That, in other words, that uh, time moves forward, that history moves forward, uh, regardless of, of how many months uh, a particular calendar has or how many days or whether it's lunar, whether it's solar, or it's kind of a combination of both. And, and so uh, it is very interesting. But what it does help us to do is to mark time. It helps us to a calendar... Uh, helps us to mark time. Uh, for example, uh, we have a calendar, and so therefore you know uh, when your birthday is. Right? You know how old you are because there's a calendar uh, uh, to tell you what year it is, what day it is, and, and so on. So when we come to December 31, uh, really it's just uh, uh, tomorrow's another day, right? And uh, but it's, it's helpful. to It marks time. Where are we in life? Where are we in our culture? Where are we in our world? Uh, you know, uh, and, and so it, it's helpful. Uh, I think it's helpful because it, it, uh, it gives us an, um, an opportunity to think about where am I in my own life? In the journey of my life, where am I? Am I, am I moving forward? Am I maturing? Am I growing? Am I learning? You know, uh, human beings, regardless of one's beliefs, hopefully desire to keep learning and to grow and, and to experience more things and new things and, uh, and, uh, and, and things of that nature. Then, of course, as, uh, as people who uh, believe in the Bible uh, and trust God and recognize that history is moving in a particular direction, you know, with, with a beginning and a middle and an end, right? And, and we may uh, wonder where we are on that continuum, but one thing we all know is that we're moving forward on it. Then we ask ourselves, where is the world headed? Where is our, uh, our nation headed? Where am I <laughs> headed? You know, uh, am I growing in my walk with God? Am, am, I, am I maturing in my walk with God, it, it, you know, at the end of 2016 as opposed to the end of 2015? Or wh where am I? So uh, it does mark time when we come to, uh, when we come to this, uh, this date. Uh, and so I, th uh, I think that it's helpful and good for us uh, uh, to look forward to uh, the new year and for God's blessing and for us to be uh, understanding more about God and walking with him. And, and there's a symbolic turning of the page, right? That, and, and in some ways it's real. Like if you have a physical calendar, right? It's like clean, new, it's January. You know, I, um, I remember if you ever, 
use something like a day timer or something like that, you know. Remember, you get the thing out of the box, and, and there it is, fresh and new, the new year, right? Uh, and, and so there is something new about it, and so hopefully we can be motivated to move forward uh, in, our, in our walk with God, pressing on, not looking at the past, but moving forward. And so that, that is a good thing for us. Uh, what we are going to do this morning is a couple of things. First, we are going to um, look at the very end of uh, the book of the Bible we have been uh, studying. One John in the Brit Hadashah. Last week, we got to this verse, uh, and we talked about it a little bit in relationship uh, to Hanukkah. But now we want to understand a little bit more of uh, a little bit more about it in our own lives. And it's one verse, just one one little verse there where this uh, letter ends. And uh, it says this: "Little children, guard yourself from idols." That's it. Little children, guard yourself from idols. So he says, "Little children." He says that throughout this letter, a great term of endearment. You know, he really cares about these people. And so he uses uh, that phrase, you know, little children. In our culture, we might not, you know, it'd be kind of weird to get up and say, little children, you know. Maybe we, sometimes we might say things like friends or uh, another term. Uh, but he says little children, right? Guard yourself from idols. Now here, these people are Messiah followers, uh, these are uh, people that uh, uh, know the Lord, right? And uh, remember uh, that they, uh, they were wounded, you might say, in their congregation, right? And there were people there that were teaching some wrong things about the Messiah, about his nature, and they were, they were teaching that he wasn't a real human being, and they were teaching that if you really believe in him, there would be no sin at all. Uh, and this was upsetting the apple cart, right? And, uh, and so those people eventually left, but they were a little insecure. And so here John is speaking into their lives, telling them that, yes, he was real, and he uses terms to describe that. We've talked about that at the very beginning and at the very end of the book. He uses terms that describe that he was manifested before us. We could see him, we could hear him, we could touch him, right? That he was a real person. And then also throughout the book, we read that, you know, if we say that we don't sin, if we say that we don't sin, we make him a liar, right? Uh, and so recognize that indeed we all sin, but we have an advocate. So we should be encouraged. And when we confess our sins, uh, he is just and he righteous, and he is just and righteous, and he forgives us and cleanses us from our sins because of his death and his resurrection. Uh, and 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 so uh, John is giving them assurance. So at the end of the book, he really ramps it up. At the very end of the book, he ramps it up on this assurance, and he says here, um, beginning in uh, verse. Uh, 13, at the very end of, of 1 John 5, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And then he goes on and on here saying that our confidence is in uh, Messiah Yeshua. It is because of him that uh, we have a life forever with God, uh, an assurance of that. And it is because of him that uh, uh, we have uh, an assurance of, uh, of a vibrant prayer life, that God indeed hears us and he protects us and he keeps us and, and all of that. So he gives them this, this great assurance. But then at the very end, he says, little children, guard yourselves uh, from uh, idols. And so idolatry uh, remains a problem for all of us, no matter uh, how far along uh, we, uh, we have come, right? Idolatry remains a problem. This was a problem uh, for, remember what we said last week, this was a problem for our ancestors, right? Uh, if you know the story of Hanukkah, it is not the simple story of uh, good guys and bad guys kind of thing. That uh, if you're familiar with Jewish history, you know that at this particular time, about one six, in the 160s BC or BCE, right, about 165 years uh, before Yeshua, okay, that there was a cultural civil war going on uh, in Jerusalem. You had plenty of people uh, that were all for this Greek and Hellenistic way of life. Hey, this is the new way. This is the culture. This is the enlightened people. Let's not be a stick in the mud, you know? And then you had people who were more uh, of the traditionalists who believed, no, this is not right. Uh, our worship needs to be according to the, uh, to the Torah and, you know, and, uh, and in the temple and in the right way and, and, uh, and so on. So on top of it, then you had, so you have an internal struggle, cultural struggle, and then you have an external enemy, the Greco-Syrians, right? Antiochus Epiphanes and all of that. We talked about this last week. And, uh, and so the, uh, there was a, um, a battle, uh, and it seemed that the uh, external forces were winning the battle, that the temple was desecrated. Uh, worship, Jewish worship, was polluted, and uh, the uh, the priesthood was being forced to do uh, things that were uh, horribly uh, uh, ungodly. Uh, and so then in comes Mattathias, right, and his sons, the Maccabees, and and for about three and a half years of struggle, they overtake the uh, the temple. They they redeem the temple. They cleanse the temple. And the temple is uh, dedicated, right? So there was a struggle against idolatry. What is interesting, uh, though, in that struggle against idolatry is that there were plenty of forces in the Jewish world that were not, they would never have said anything like, well, we don't believe in the God of Israel anymore, or we don't, uh, we're not Jewish anymore. Uh, but they had embraced the culture of the day, which was very idolatrous which was very centered on the glory of, of a man, certainly and not uh, the, uh, the glory of God. And there was great assimilation, great assimilation. Now, in the days of the Maccabees, there was this battle, and they won. And so the assimilationists were put down, and uh, that, there was, uh, that, that, well, that battle did take place. But within 100 years, 
there was tremendous assimilation uh, in the Jewish world. Uh, you just need to read the, read the history of that period of time, uh, and, uh, and you'll, learn, uh, you'll learn all about it. That's why, if you're familiar with the Essenes, right? That's one of the reasons why they left Jerusalem and went out into the desert, because they figured that this is the, you know, the Messiah has got to come because things are so bad. Because what were they reacting to? They were reacting to the assimilation of the Sadducees, the assimilation of the priests. You ever wonder why in the Jewish world you don't, you don't hear too many names like um, Caiaphas, you know, uh, or uh, Annas, or any, any of those names? I, I, because these, uh, this represents an assimilation of, uh, of the Jewish people to the, to the Greek world. And the Pharisees, you wonder who, you know, I don't even have, uh, anyway. The, the Pharisees, you might say, so what were the Pharisees doing? See, the Pharisees were the good guys. Did you know that? You heard it here, okay? Uh, the Pharisees were the good guys. They were like, they, they saw themselves as, um, uh, they, they were reformers. Uh, they, they were going to be reformers that, and, and work from within. They, they weren't going to be like the Essenes and run out into the, you know, out into the desert. They, they, stuck, uh, they stuck with it, and they believed that, okay, we're going to teach the people. We're going to teach the people the traditions of our people, and we're going to teach the people the, the, the Torah as we understand it uh, so that they'll be anchored and so that they'll know and and, uh, and so there was a lot going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, and, and you see that, you read about this in the book of Acts, right? Paul, who was so wise in the way that he handled himself, right? He's, he's, here he is uh, with the Sanhedrin, and he knows that they have this, uh, that they don't agree with each other about the resurrection of the dead, Right? The Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees do not. So what does Paul say? I'm here standing for the resurrection of the dead, right? In talking about Yeshua. So now the Pharisees' hands are tied behind their backs. What? He, well, we agree with that part, right? Uh, and so there was all kinds of discussion. Uh, and, uh, but the point is for us that uh, idolatry is always something that we have to guard against. It's always something that our people have had to guard against and something that we always have to guard against. When you, know, when you go farther back before Hanukkah, before all of that, go back to the, uh, you go back to the Torah, <laughs> certainly, uh, but, but uh, more specifically in the prophets, we read a lot about idolatry, right? Uh, and it's framed oftentimes as, as uh, being um, uh, adulterous, that Israel has a relationship with God and idolatry is like having another lover, see? It's that serious and that emotional uh, as, as well, right? Now, in that day, in the ancient times, idolatry was in the days of like Ezekiel, for example. The, uh, the idolatry that, that uh, he's talking about had to do more with worshiping gods of wood and stone. But by the time you get even to the days of Hanukkah, yes, there were statues in the temple, but it was more like a worldview that was very anthro-centered, very, 
the glory of man centered. And that led to all kinds of uh, debauchery and beliefs. While the Jewish people who bought into this, uh, again, would never have said to themselves, we're not loyal to the God of Israel. Of course we are. But yet they did not even realize how the, the culture, the Hellenistic culture, had seeped into their, uh, had seeped into their lives. So when we come to uh, here in 1 John, he ends the letter, you know, this great assurance, and then he says, little children, guard yourself from, uh, guard yourself from idols. So we uh, have to be careful as well. So I thought what we would do uh, for a moment is talk a little bit about, uh, about idolatry and, uh, and the different kinds of idolatry uh, that we might be susceptible to, all right? But first, I wanted to read a quote from a book. Uh, well, it doesn't matter the name of the book. Uh, but a, a, a quote that helps us to understand, uh, helps us to understand this, about this, uh, this uh, concept of the glory of man being the, the uh, ground of idolatry. I, uh, there was a theologian, his name was Otto Babb, B-A-A-B, and he's quoted in a number of, uh, he wrote a theology and a very interesting, very interesting writer. Anyway, but he said this, idolatry is well understood in the Bible as differing from the pure worship of Israel's God in the fact of its personification and objectification of the human will in contrast with the superhuman transcendence of the true God. When an idol is worshipped, man is worshipping himself, his desires, his purposes, and his will. As a consequence of this type of idolatry, man was outrageously guilty of giving himself the status of God and of exalting his own will as of supreme worth. And doesn't that go back to the Garden of Eden, right? You can be as God, knowing good and evil, right? And uh, that was the motivator. You can be as God knowing good and evil. And it's very interesting that when uh, Adam and Eve ate uh, and their eyes were open, it was not that now they had all this fabulous knowledge. Now they knew good and evil and now they had arrived and now they're going to live stellar lives. No, what immediately happened? They were, they were self-conscious. They were conscious of themselves. Because what does it say? They knew they were naked. This is an issue now. We're conscious of ourselves. And they had to clothe themselves. And then they had to hide from God. What's going to be with us? They were afraid. Isn't it amazing now that they have this great knowledge of good and evil? What happens now? They're fearful. Uh, now they're consumed with, them, with themselves. Uh, and so what they thought was their eyes being open and having like this wealth of, of knowledge turns out to be slavery, turns out to be alienation, alienated from God and, and, and from uh, the, the way that, you know, he had made them, that now, now they're centered in themselves. And that becomes the lie, the lie. You can be as God. And that is the lie of, uh, of, uh, of sin. And whatever form sin takes, Ultimately, you can weave it all the way back to you can be as God, knowing good and evil. You can be independent from uh, the Creator, you see. Uh, and, uh, and this is uh, the, the center 
of the, the lie, this center of, of self. So let's look at a few forms of idolatry. Okay. All right. Oh, yes. Actually, uh, before that, in the book of Galatians, in the New Covenant, in the fifth chapter, it's about the flesh and the spirit. For the, so notice it says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Many, many years ago, when I uh, was a student in uh, Chicago at Moody Bible Institute, we were looking at this issue. I was in a class, a uh, systematic theology class, about pneumatology, about the Spirit of God. So we were talking about this, this verse. So someone raised their hand and asked a great question. When you read this verse, when it says at the very end, so that you may not do the things that you please, this was the question. Does that mean that I will never, as a believer in the Messiah, I will always be unsatisfied because I will never be able to do things that I please. Uh, in, other, in other words, if I, if, if I want to do something, does that mean the flesh is what I want to do and the spirit is, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Right? So that was the question. When you continue reading, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the, not under the law. Uh, meaning, not, not so much having to do with, uh, you're, you're now separated from the law of Moses, but, but sort of a rote, legalistic way of life, see? Because notice, as, see, this is why you want to read more than one verse. So the answer is, you'll, you'll see as, as he continues, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and my favorite one, things like these. Okay? Remember, lists are not complete. Remember? If you were here last Shabbat afternoon in our observational Bible study class, right? Okay? All right. Then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. Right? Again, not one complete list, but things like that. Okay? So, when you look at the list of the flesh verses, you see that they really are all about the gratification of the flesh, of myself. You know, if I'm going to live a hedonistic way of life, then it's just all about me and what, no matter who I have to trample on or, or no matter what it is, idolatry, idolatry, shmadolatry, right? If it feels good, do it, is kind of what those deeds of the flesh are. So the problem is not that if I walk with God, uh, I'll never be satisfied, but if I have made a commitment to the Lord, but I stick with the deeds of the flesh, Yes, the bad news is you will never be satisfied, okay? In other words, if you want, if you're a believer in the Lord, you, you really have embraced the Lord, but you really like some bad practices, you'll never have a clear conscience. You'll, you'll never like have this guiltless, this is great, like, I'm, like there's two parts of my life. There's the, there's the uh, read the Bible and Shabbat services life, and then there's, 
the rest of the week, right? Okay, there'll never be satisfaction. What we, what we strive for is that the Spirit permeates, that God, the presence of God permeates every aspect of my life, and so then I am satisfied, see? So it's the war that that passage is talking about in Galatians 5, this war, okay? So the reason I bring that up is because uh, idolatry in our lives may be a reason why we are fearful, we are unsatisfied, why we never seem to be able to have victory, you know, in our lives. Maybe it's because there are there is uh, there is idolatry, which which uh, it, it's like it it lowers. It's, it's sort of like lowering the power of our spiritual life. The more idolatry that's present in in our thought processes in our worldview, the the uh, the more we go from hot to warm in our walk with God. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we do realize it. Sometimes. I mean, I will say that if you are here today and you are having an illicit affair with someone, which, who knows, maybe. Notice how the room gets quiet. Say that. Isn't that interesting? Right? That you know you're reeking with sin and with guilt, right? And not satisfied. And you know it, right? And you know it. But there may be other things seeping in seeping in and we don't even realize it. Okay, so let's talk about uh, a few of those real quickly. One is, uh, you know, this is two sides of the same coin. Well, one, one is that ethno, ethnocentrism, right? That my uh, group is greater than all other groups, right? And what's interesting about that is we don't, we don't uh, always realize it, but we're all part of different, we have groups that overlap, like ethnic groups that overlap right? Uh, one might be, uh, well, in our, here, one might say uh, Jewish people, right? right? So if we have that, uh, it, is an idolatrous, it is an idolatrous belief to think that we are better than other people. At the very same time, it is idolatrous to think that we as, uh, if you're, uh, whatever the color of your skin might be, is better than other people. Or there's something a little cut above, or uh, you know, just uh, 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 some are more deficient than others, or better than others. That is idolatry. We could call it bigotry, uh, right? Also, but idolatry. Now, you know what the other side of that coin is? Is what we like to call in our world nationalism. That's another. That that that's that that is a, a real big problem that our nation is better than any other, than all other peoples, right? Nation, peoples, however you want. That always leads to bad things, bad things, right? And uh, uh, of course, what, is, what drives these things? When we're our primary, what, we have to ask ourselves, and what is my primary identity? What is my identity? If, my, if the main thing I am is uh, an American, the main thing I am, that's primarily who I am, okay, then we're, we're driven by what is uh, good for America, okay? Uh, if we're Jewish or we're Italian or Irish or whatever we might be, 
we might say, well, whatever is good, whatever is good for my people, regardless of how it may affect anybody else, that is the center. That is the center. But there's others as well, right? I, I, there's others that, that we're real familiar with. The, uh, the concept of uh, being the ultimate consumer of whatever we consume, right? I am what I own, right? Uh, what I have uh, is, uh, that is what is the center of my life. That is what, that is what drives me. That is what is on the forefront of my mind. Uh, another is even our, you know, our uh, families or career or children or a spouse. Uh, if, the, if that, that person or those people are the absolute focal point, then uh, it, is, uh, it is idolatrous. We might say, how could that be? Because it is so good. Okay. Ah, well, we'll see. All right. All right. Uh, oh, here's an, oh, here's one. Political idolatry. How's that? We wouldn't know anything about that, would we? Right? Political idolatry. That my particular understanding of politics, that is what drives me. That is what drives me. And that is a real problem uh, in our culture. Uh, it certainly is. Right? Because, you know, I, according to the scriptures... What should drive us? The way we should frame everything else. You know, it's not a bad thing to be knowledgeable about politics and to have opinions. That's not a bad thing. Obviously, it's not a bad thing to care deeply for one's family. <laughs> Needless to say, right? Uh, it's not a bad thing to even have ambition. You know, that, that's not a bad word. Did you know that? Uh, it's not... It's not a bad thing to be, to be ambitious even about a, a career. Certainly it's not a bad thing to uh, be concerned about your people, whoever your people are. Certainly it's very important. No, no doubt. But if it is the driving force of our lives, it is what pulls our chain, that's where we have an issue. Because, do you know, that is where fear comes from. Do you ever wonder where does fear come from? Fear comes from idolatry. Because if there is some kind of idol in your life, you know what that means? It means that there's a potential that it could go away. There is. You name it. There is the potential through tragedy or bad decision-making or what other people you know, uh, press upon us. The fear of losing the uh, idol can be overwhelming and lead to all kinds of very bad things in our lives. But if our primary, primary identity, if our primary identity is that we're created in the image and likeness of God, then we can frame everything else under, under that. And that is a great challenge for us to ask ourselves, what is my primary identity? Is my main identity... Uh, being related to God. And if it is, then I will live and act in a certain way. And, uh, and if nothing else, I will be passionate about the things of God. I'll be passionate to please Him. I'll be passionate to live for Him. And uh, if that is indeed the way of life uh, that, uh, that we entertain, 
then, uh, and we're, we're related, we understand our creator and our king, then, then we will indeed find satisfaction even in the worst of circumstances. Even if other things that I care deeply about don't come to pass. How important, uh, how important indeed uh, is that? And that is what John means when he says, guard yourself uh, from, uh, from idolatry. Uh, and so uh, when we relate this to Hanukkah, one of the things that Hanukkah, yes, is the Feast of Dedication. It is, we're reminded uh, of the power of God. But one of the things we learn about that holiday is the importance of fighting the idolatry. Because that, that's, the, that's what they were fighting, you know. It was not just persecution of our people. They were fighting idolatry, an idolatrous belief. They were, they were fighting the, the prominent culture of the day. That is what the Maccabees were fighting. We need to have that fight. Maybe it is not with spears, you know, and chariots, because our fight is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of darkness that work itself out in the lives of all kinds of good and bad people in the world. And, and so we need to recognize that there is indeed a fight, a fight in which we stand behind God, and a, a fight in which has ultimately been won in the risen Messiah and the resurrection life, but one in which we're working out, uh, as it says in the Brit working out our salvation, you know, with fear and trembling, the Bible talks about. And so uh, it's important that we are always asking ourselves, you know, uh, am I practicing some form of idolatry in the way, in my worldview, in the way that I think, in the way that I do things? Uh, and, and so that's an important, uh, an important um, thing for us to think about. So uh, now what I'm going to do is, oh, we're not done thinking about it yet, but I'm going to ask those who are serving Messiah's table to come uh, forward at this time. Because one of the great moments for us in our devotion, you know, the opposite of idolatry is devotion to God, is uh, unbridled devotion to God. I, you know, there's a lot of terms that we use to describe that devotion, uh, servanthood, uh, slavery to God. Um, um, all, uh, and other terms as, as, as well. Uh, but that devotion to being devoted uh, to him, that is really what Hanukkah is about and is, is, is really what our lives are about. And we have the opportunity from time to time to experience that devotion as a community. And we do that in our understanding of Messiah's table. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, what this is about is that we are, uh, we're sharing, an ex it's a shared experience. And when you look back in the Bible, you see that there were these um, uh, covenant meals that would be eaten. Uh, and it represented a fellowship with God. In fact, the peace offering in, uh, in uh, Leviticus, in the Torah, the peace offering that the priest would share with the people, that was a sense of, of a communion with God, communing with, uh, with God. Uh, in the temple, there was the bread of the presence, right? Uh, and it was a bread that, that represented communing with, with God. And, uh, and so, uh, at the Passover, there was, in a sense, this covenant meal that was eaten, 
of communing with God. And Yeshua uh, gave us this opportunity to uh, partake of, uh, at the Seder, it was matzah and, and wine. We use matzah and we use grape juice. Uh, but the point of it is, is that we are communing together and we are communing with God. Uh, and, and it is really a, a wonderful spiritual moment uh, and a real display of our devotion to, to him. Uh, and so I, I will distribute the uh, matzah and the cups. Uh, and this is not kiddish, right? We do that afterwards, right? And so if I, uh, and of course, uh, Yeshua said that uh, the, the matzah and the cup uh, are, uh, depict him, uh, his blood and his body, right? And, uh, and so there is a, uh, this uh, communing with a God in, uh, in partaking of it. All right, so uh, you can feel free to let it go by if you uh, would not uh, uh, be experiencing it that, in that way. We have kiddush afterwards. Or take uh, the, uh, a piece of matzah and, and the cup and then hold on to it and we'll partake together as we are identifying uh, in Messiah uh, and as a, uh, a community. So as we're uh, passing out the elements, we'll uh, have a, a little time of uh, meditation. Think about this. Think about areas of life that, that maybe I, I do have some idolatry. There are some areas of life that, that really pull my chain outside of God. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and maybe we need to repent of that. So we can take that as this is an opportunity for that and repentance in general, so that uh, when we all partake in just a few moments, we will all be doing so as one community, communing with our Messiah. All right. I can't think of a better passage when we talk about being devoted to God and the meaning of, of this you know, it's, a, it's, another, it's another topic for another day, which we have already talked about, about all of the, these meals in the Bible where, uh, that depicts the presence of God and, 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 and the people together. Uh, and and uh, obviously in that is a devotion, uh, pure devotion to God. And so I can't think of a better passage that talks about that than the Shema, right, in uh, Deuteronomy. And, uh, and so what we're going to do, we're going to do this a little differently uh, today. Uh, and so what uh, uh, all of us, I'm sure, are familiar with, you know, Deuteronomy 6.4, right? Uh, if you've been to Beth Messiah more than a couple of times, uh, you're familiar with it. And uh, uh, so what we'll do is uh, I'm going to pray. That's what we'll do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to partake of the bread and the cup, okay? Okay. So I'm going to pray. We'll eat the bread, the, the matzah, and the cup uh, as we uh, remember Yeshua, as he said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and then uh, we'll uh, sing the first, uh, you know, Deuteronomy 6.4 uh, uh, together as a way of saying, yes, yes, God, you alone are the one uh, are the one and only God, you know, in Messiah Yeshua. Okay? All right. So, Lord God, uh, we do uh, thank you as we come to this place in our service and in our lives 
uh, Lord, we are indeed, or we desire indeed, to be devoted to you. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and help us to see, uh, not uh, like Adam and Eve, that our eyes would be opened by, by, by trying to be like you, but that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to see where there are places in our lives where we really need to work on, where we need to give to you. Lord, I pray that you would remove the idolatry from our lives, whatever it might be. Uh, some aspect of our thinking, perhaps, or of the weight that we place on something or someone. Uh, Lord, or maybe it is something in our, something in our lives. Whatever it may be, Lord, we pray, God, that, that uh, you would remove the idolatry so that we could be really wholly devoted to you. We thank you for Messiah Yeshua. We thank you for his life, for, for in him, uh, Lord, we know that we indeed have uh, uh, life and faith and trust in you. Lord, we thank you that in him a new way has been made for us to enter into your presence, Lord, one that you promised way, way back in the Torah, Lord. And by partaking of uh, this uh, matzah and this cup, Lord, we are indeed communing with you in a unique mystical way. Lord, uh, a unique spiritual way, we might say. Uh, Lord, that draws us ever closer to you and to each other. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for uh, the fact that you never change. We thank you, Lord, that even though this world frenetically changes and we're not quite sure what the new year will bring, but we thank you that, Lord, according to your promise, you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. We can always trust you and your promises are sure. And we thank you in Messiah's name. Amen. All right, let's partake of the matzah and the cup. And let's sing together the, the uh, Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is one alone. The Shema is indeed a declaration. It's not really a, a prayer. It's, it's a declaration that we're saying to God, you alone are the only God that there is, the only God of my life. And you know the passage, it goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. In other words, with every ounce of your being, inwardly, outwardly, in every way, shape, and form. Um, every bit, I will love God with every bit of me. That means being devoted to him with my abilities, being devoted to him with all of my possessions, being devoted to him with all of my emotions, my heart, my will, all of it. And you know what's really interesting when we say that? Like, let's say you're in school and you're thinking about going to college, right? Uh, or you're thinking about a career or what do I want to be? I think it's really important to ask ourselves the question, Lord, what would you have me be? What career uh, would you have me uh, to, uh, you know, work on, to move forward in, you know? And I think that's really very, very important to recognize that there's a, there is indeed a calling on our lives to serve him. And of course, we read in the New Covenant, 
whatever you do, and whatever you do, you know, do it for the glory of God, right? I could go on and on on that. But that is a good question to ask, you know? Hey, you guys in the front row, by the way. Hey, and you guys in the back row, uh, by the way, right? That it is a great question to ask. Lord, I'm devoted to you. What would you have me be? Oh, you want me to be a biologist? Okay, I'm going to be a biologist for you. You want me to be a doctor? I'll be a doctor for you. A teacher? I'll be a teacher for you, right? Uh, and then maybe, uh, maybe God might be speaking into some of your hearts to say, oh, you want me to be a, uh, a rabbi? Or you want me to be a pastor? You want me to be a to spend all of my time uh, uh, serving you, reading and studying the Word and communicating it to others? Hey, that's a good thing to be too, right? Uh, and it's right now when you're, when you're thinking about those things. Very, very, very important. That's what it means when we say we're wholly devoted indeed to God. Uh, and, uh, and it is interesting that in the book of Ephesians, it's going to take another couple of minutes here, in Ephesians... In the Brit chapter 4, you know, it's a great book. The first three chapters, the writer, Paul, is saying to people, uh, now, you know, you're one in Messiah, Jew and Gentile. You, and he's speaking to those who are Gentiles, that he's saying, you've been brought near, you know, uh, into, the, into this understanding of the God of Israel. And the Messiah is the one who who uh, has given you the opportunity to, you embrace Yeshua, you're embracing the God of Israel. Then he says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. So he teaches them Torah, basically. He teaches them, so this is how people that embrace the God of Israel live. And when you read chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's teaching them some of the basic truths of the Torah. Okay, So one of the things that he says here is he says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. What he mean, Yes, he means those who are not Jewish, but he's specific, specifically thinking of those who are pagans, those who do not embrace Yeshua, okay? In the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, right? But you did not learn Messiah in this way, see? So that's the old way. That's the old way of thinking. What's in it for me? What's going to make me feel good? What's going to give me some sense of accomplishment or success in my life or whatever it might be? You did not learn Messiah in this way. If indeed you have heard him, heard him, and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Yeshua, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right? So he, he looks at it like clothing. Put off the old clothes. And the first thing is you, you, have a renew, you have a different way of thinking now. You frame the world differently. The way you see it as when, uh, when your primary identity is in the Lord, you're going to see all the other things, all the bad things in the world, the good things in the world. You're going to see them framed different. It's all framed differently. 
That's what we call worldview. And that's what we call it, being renewed in our minds. Is now, because Yeshua, because the God of Israel is the centerpiece. That's what the gravity is, remember that? The, the gravity is in Him, not in me, right? That now I see people as created in the image and likeness of God. I have a sense of compassion and kindness and love and, and wanting to tell people the, the, the truth and, and serving them. And it's not all about just how it affects me, see? So he says here, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, as we are members one of another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Notice it doesn't say just don't steal. It says work, okay? That's what it says. In order that he may have something to share with him who has need. What a powerful verse. So you can share with someone else. You don't have to steal. You work so you can help somebody else. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Messiah also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Messiah also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That, that's how we're called to live. That's what it means to have God being, uh, being an image bearer of God. When we're an image bearer of God, we forgive the way he forgave. We love the way he loves. We live a life that he calls us to live, reflecting his character. That is what it means. And that is the best way to love your wife. That is the best way to love your children. That is the best way uh, to do your job. That is the best way to interact with your neighbors. That is the best way to make a difference in your community. And it is the best way to make a difference in this world. See, when God is the center, when he, when we're passionate for him and his ways, and we don't let other things get in the way, because see, he will never, he will never change. Politics, they, it changes. We can be real fearful in that regard. We can be really fearful about losing a loved one. We can be really fearful uh, about the, uh, you know, the outcome of, of events. If I put all my eggs in that basket, that's what I worship. What I worship is what pulls my chain, right? Wow, and in Columbus, Ohio, it goes without saying that this is an issue for us, right? Right. Uh, and that is a challenge uh, for us uh, as, uh, as well. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, may we enter uh, the new year uh, living this way, putting on the new self, putting on the righteousness of God, walking in Yeshua, not just saying, I believe in God, so I'll try to live this way, 
right? No, but I'm, I've embraced him and he will live out my life as I yield to him in my life. May we be that kind of people. May we be that kind of community. That is, boy, when we talk about the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, may we celebrate Hanukkah in that way every day of our life. May we be that menorah full of light. And as he says in Zechariah, with a never-ending supply of oil, constantly burning bright, so that we know that it's not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of God that there is victory. Oh, mountains, oh, obstacles, no, they, they, uh, they, are, they are plowed down, and God will indeed have victory in our lives as we are wholly devoted to Him. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we, we thank you, God, for this little letter that ends with be on guard against idolatry. Lord, may we be on guard against idolatry. On guard. It's never over in this life. There's always the human tendency to make ourselves the center and our desires the center. Lord, I pray, God, that we would live indeed a satisfied whole life when, when we're focused and centered on you that there is no spiritual part of my life and fleshly part of my life or secular part of my life or spiritual part of my life that is one integrated life in you, God. And so we pray, Lord, that as we light uh, tonight, as we light the eighth candle and we see that menorah burning brightly, Lord, may we be reminded of that calling on our own lives to be a light and to burn brightly, Lord. And may we... Uh, be exporters of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. And uh, God, may the world take notice, uh, uh, God. And we pray, Lord, that there would be less flesh, less fleshly, uh, less deeds of the flesh, even among nations, and more fruit of the Spirit in ourselves, in our community, in our nation, in our world. Lord, and history is indeed moving forward, and we look forward to that day, Lord. We look forward to that day when you will sit on your throne in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Yisrael, and the nations will come and learn Torah from you. And indeed, in that day, the fruit of the Ruach, that will be the culture of the day. Lord, thank you that we are like the tip of the, the, tip of the sword of that. And may we make indeed a difference. We pray in Yeshua's name.